Well, good morning. Uh, Today is our second Sunday in our new sermon series, uh, Stories of Old, A Journey Through the Old Testament. Uh, So uh, as we jump into the sermon series, we're following um, something that's called the narrative lectionary. Just a brief note on that. All that is is an assigned list of readings. Uh, But this particular assigned set of uh, readings is designed to get us through like the broad arching narrative of scripture, the, the broad story of the Bible. And so we're going to hit some of like the major milestones throughout the story of scripture, because the story of scripture is, is this story, this narrative, it's going somewhere, there's a trajectory to it. And one of the, the faithful ways of reading scripture is to understand this arcing narrative, because this helps us grapple with it, helps us understand it, it helps us to to wrestle with it in a, in a better way. So for the next uh, school year, we'll be following uh, what's called the narrative lectionary. And this fall, we'll be following uh, up through the Old Testament into Advent, where we'll jump into the, the prophets, uh, which is always some good fiery stuff in there, right? So as we get ready to jump into uh, our sermon for this morning, would you join me in a word of prayer? Loving God, we are grateful for this chance to be together We're grateful for the gift of technology uh, that unites us both here in person and those on Zoom. Um, Thank you that your spirit is here among us. Again, mysteriously, divinely uniting us, connecting us here in person with one another and us here in person with those on Zoom. What a great and profound mystery that we're grateful for. God, as we turn now to the scriptures and wrestle with them, we ask that your spirit would lead us, guide us, shape us, and form us more and more into the image of Jesus. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I have a confession to make. Uh, if you have any sort of issues with the story that was just read, if you have any sort of pushback, uh, if you have any sort of why in the world is that in the Bible, if you have any sort of uneasiness with it, let me be the first to say you were not alone in that. <laughs> I think if you don't have any sort of uneasiness with it, then we have some conversations that we need to have, right? Because this is a story about God telling someone to sacrifice their own son. I have issues with that, right? <laughs> and I'm not alone in that because I know, have, having talked to many of you, that you have issues with this story as well. And I've heard from other individuals that they have issues with this as well. I've spoken to people who work in human services who have acknowledged that this particular story is incredibly traumatic for those who have had traumatic experiences in their life. That this story is really triggering, that it carries all sorts of baggage with it, because like this reminds them of situations that they've been in in their past. Which, side note, if that is your story and like you need to take a break at some point today, that is totally fine, totally understandable. I've also uh, had the experience of uh, preaching this at another church um, a few years ago, And after the service, uh, a college student came up, tears just flooding their face, which is always a really interesting thing as a preacher, because you have no idea what caused those tears. And she told me that just that past week in her philosophy class, her professor held up this story and showed that if any God would require this of any human being, that this is an an untrustworthy God, and it's an unreliable God, which points to an unreliable text, which points to an unreliable faith, and if you are of the Jewish or Christian faith, you should abandon it immediately. Like, there are real issues with this story, right? And I think it would be a mistake to look past some of these issues. 
I think it would be a mistake to try and sweep them under the rug and pretend like they don't exist and say, oh, it's the Bible. We have to accept it all that's in there entirely, right? And so this is what I want to do this morning. I want to work our way through this story. And rather than jumping over the difficult and disturbing parts of it, I actually want to acknowledge it. (laughs) And I want to approach some of these difficult, disturbing passages with a good bit of curiosity, asking one of the most profound questions you can ask of why. (laughs) And see if we can't make some sense of this strange and bizarre story in our scripture. So let's begin at the beginning here. Genesis 22, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham. I want to pause there because I think this word tested um, emerges as like this gift to us as readers. I think this word tested um, becomes a bit of a, a clue, a bit of a wink, if you will, from the author that there's, there's more to the story than meets the eye. That um, this becomes the, the, the lens through which we read this story, that there's some sort of test happening in this story. Which leads us to a question that I think we should have at the forefront of our minds as we read this story, and that's the question, what's being tested here? What is God testing of Abraham? What of Abraham is being tested in this story? What is being tested? When I was in uh, the third grade, I was, um, dare I say, a near-perfect child. Here's how you know that I was a near-perfect child. I wouldn't have admitted that I was a near-perfect child, but my brothers, who will be glad to point out any sort of perceived fault in my life, would have admitted that I was a near-perfect child. So I was a near-perfect child in third grade, and we, uh, one particular day, we walked into class, and our class was set up in kind of a block C sort of shape. And we knew that we had a math test this day, and our teacher began to pass out our math test around this block C sort of shape, and said, I don't want you to write on this paper until I tell you to. So we all get our paper, and our teacher stands back, and she looks, and then she begins to proceed around the block C shape of our desk, and she looks down at the first student and notices that the first student wrote their name on the paper. The teacher said, go move your card. Now, if you're not aware, moving your card was a big, big deal for me when I was in third grade. This was an earth-shattering moment because this means you done messed up, right? There was red, yellow, and green, and if you moved from green to yellow, that meant you were one step away from red, which meant that you were one step away from getting a note sent home to your parents, right? So getting your card moved was a big deal. So all of us collectively looked at that student and said, well, that's unfortunate, sorry about it. And then our teacher moved to the next student, said, you wrote your name on your test, go move your card. Next student, you wrote your name on your test. Go move your card. Proceeded to move her her way through the class, and I'm thinking, well, that's really unfortunate. And then I look down and see my name on my test and go, oh, no. (laughs) So I quickly grab my pencil and erase it, but we were poor, and so we didn't have the good pencils. We didn't have the Ticonderoga ones, right? And so instead of a clean sheet of paper, I had a big black smudge, and so I coyishly try and put my hand over it and look off into the distance. (laughs) My My teacher comes to me and sees this and says, Sean, Go move your card. I was a near-perfect child and had made it four years, kindergarten included, without ever having to move my card. And in this moment, my world was shattered. I thought we were having a math test, but it turns out that we were having a listening to directions test. And I say all of this to point out that not all tests are quite as straightforward as they may appear. And so as we enter this story, we recognize that Abraham is being tested, and we ask this question, what is being tested? Because perhaps not all tests are as straightforward as they appear. 
So God tested Abraham, and God said to Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. Now remember acknowledging some of the difficult, disturbing pieces and asking with a good bit of curiosity some helpful questions. Now would be a very appropriate time to ask the question, what gives, right? Because here we have God telling a man to take his son and sacrifice him. And I think this gets all the more disturbing if we zoom out of this story a little bit and get a little bit more context of the story of Abraham. Because remember, Abraham was a very, very old man who him and his wife had been barren all their years together. And they felt the shame that would have come in this particular society from having this sort of experience. They felt the weight of what that meant. They felt the weight of all of the questions, all of the gazing eyes that said, what did you do in your life to make the gods angry? But then somewhere late in life, God gives them a son their only son. And here God asks them to sacrifice their son. Again, we ask this question, what gives? Well, this is a helpful place to remember that um, this was not written in the year 2021 when we ask the certain question of what gives to a story like this, but that this was written a really, 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 really long time ago where there were particular cultures, where there were particular societies, where there were particular religions that thought of sacrifices of all kinds as totally normal and totally acceptable. This would be like stopping to pump gas in our car today. Like everybody did this and this was just the way that the world worked. So this meant that you could sacrifice things like animals, you could sacrifice things like grains, and you could sacrifice things like children. Now, the particular like, logical framework here was that there were all sorts of gods that controlled the world and made things tick. But there was one particular set of gods known as fertility gods. Fertility gods being the ones that cause things to be produced, right? And the thought was that if you sacrifice one of these things, if you make an investment, if you will, to these fertility gods, that they would honor that and that they would give you a return on investment with more of whatever you sacrificed. So if you sacrifice one animal, maybe you'll get a large herd the next time around. If you sacrifice a little bit of grain, maybe you'll get another, a lot of grain the next year around. And if you were to sacrifice a child, maybe you would get more children or whatever. Again, don't be mad at the messenger here. This is, <laughs> this is bizarre for all of us, right? And so we, we have to step into Abraham's mind here and, and, and put ourselves with the, the, the tension that he's feeling here. Because early in the beginning of Abraham's story, God comes to Abraham with a promise. And God says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. I will give you numerous descendants. And so Abraham's thinking about this on one hand, but then Abraham's also thinking about his love and his desire for his son Isaac on this hand. And can't help but wonder if he's wrestling with all of this, thinking that perhaps if he makes this sacrifice, this investment of Isaac to God, that God in some way will give a return on investment with this great nation. Perhaps this is how this great nation will be formed. Now, this doesn't mean that this wasn't like an emotional sort of experiment for uh, Abraham, but it is to say like this wasn't out of the question for Abraham. Now again, we're, this, we're reading this story many, 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 many years after it was written, which means that we have a particular sort of issue with it, and we want to distance ourselves by saying that's barbaric, that's archaic, and we would never do a thing like that. 
And in response to that impulse, I would encourage us to think through our own nation's military-industrial complex. Because we have a particular way of dealing with any sort of issue in our world. And that is by sacrificing our own to the gods of war. Uh, Yesterday was the, the 20th anniversary of September 11th. And we should absolutely mourn and grieve all of the lives that were lost that day. We should absolutely mourn and grieve all of the lives that were lost in any sort of intervention and the lives that were affected by that intervention. But we should also be a bit skeptical of any sort of response that involves more violence on top of violence. And I think anytime we have this perceived threat to us, we want to uh, offer up and sacrifice our children to the gods of war, trusting that there will be a return on investment to satisfy that freedom that we long and that we desire for. So before we read this story and say that's barbaric, that's archaic, we would never do anything like that. Let's be sure to check our own sort of impulses Um, and the ways that perhaps we continue to sacrifice our own kids to the gods of war. So God tests Abraham, tells him to sacrifice his own son. Abraham grabs a couple servants and his son. They grab some wood, they grab a knife, they grab some some rope, and they begin to walk until they get to the place where uh, Abraham senses that God has called them to. And Abraham tells his servants to stay here, and he says, me and my son, we're going to go up, we're going to worship, we're going to do our thing, but we will come back down to you. Now, as they're walking up this mountain, in verse 7, we're told that Isaac said to his father, Father, and Abraham said to him, Here I am, my son. Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? We can only imagine that like, the wheels are starting to turn for Isaac here, right? Isaac's carrying the wood. He knows that they're supposed to be doing a sacrifice. He knows how sacrifices work. They're supposed to be some sort of animal. And he's walking, and maybe he's thinking, like, there used to be that child in our village. Okay, Dad, what's happening here, right? He's probably beginning to get a little bit nervous, recognizing, reading the the writing on the wall, knowing what is about to happen. And so he asks his dad, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham's response in verse 8 is a really fascinating one. Abraham says, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. As I read this, I can't help but wonder... Who is Abraham answering here? Is Abraham answering Isaac's question? Is this an answer to Isaac's question of where will the, burn, uh, where will the, the lamb come from? Is this uh, Abraham in some way trying to calm his son down, trying to placate his son's fears, saying, everything will be okay, son, don't worry about it, it's all good, it's all hunky-dory? Or is perhaps this an answer to God's test of Abraham? See, when we think about the the broad story of Abraham, I think we come to a particular sort of like crux in the story, a particular sort of important crossroads in this particular story. And again, we ask this question of what is being tested of Abraham? Is God testing that Abraham would have some sort of unquestioning obedience to God? Is God testing that Abraham would do whatever God said, regardless of how ugly, how barbaric, how um, painful, how destructive it is? Or perhaps, is God testing if Abraham actually understands who God is? 
Is, Abraham, is God testing whether Abraham actually knows the heart of God, the character of God, the nature of God, the longings, the desires, the impulses of God? Is God testing an unquestioning obedience or is God testing an understanding of who God is? Because again, remember, let's zoom out of this story into the broader story of Abraham because God calls Abraham from a particular culture, a particular society, filled with all sorts of particular gods who do things a certain way. And God calls Abraham out of this to go into a new land. And God tells Abraham that God will bless him and make him a great nation. And through this nation, all other nations will be blessed, which would have been so countercultural because to be a great nation was to be a great nation, to conquer all other nations, to consume their goods, to build yourselves up, to be the face of history forever and ever and ever. But this nation is going to be a different one. It's going to be a blessing to all other nations. So throughout the story of Abraham, we see Abraham and God journeying together. And this journeying is certainly a physical one as they bounce from location to location together. But as they bounce from location to location to location together, as they journey together physically, I have to imagine that there's a bit of a journeying within Abraham's mind of his own understanding of who God is. As they're journeying physically, I have to imagine that there's a journeying of this evolution of who God is and how God works and the character, the nature, the heart, the longing of this God. And so we come to this pinnacle in the story of Abraham with, with God uh, testing Abraham by telling him to sacrifice his own son. And I think we ask this question of like, what kind of a God are we dealing with? I think as Abraham is faced with this, this conundrum, he's thinking, what kind of a God are we dealing with? Because this God, as we journey from place to place to place, has started to feel a little bit different than all of the other gods that I've grown up with. What kind of a God are we dealing with? Is this a God who demands death? Is this a God who demands things like child sacrifice? Is this a God who demands that we provide for ourselves, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, fend for ourselves? Or is this a God who provides? So they walk up the mountain. They get the fire all set up. Abraham bounds his son Isaac to the wood. And Abraham pulls back the knife. And at just the right moment, we're told that the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. We often read that last verse, verse 12, as sort of this like pat on the back, this complimenting of Abraham. Well done, you fear God, you wouldn't even withhold your only son, but I can't help but wonder if perhaps God is a bit resigned at this point. If it doesn't come with a bit of a sigh. I know you fear God. And I know that you wouldn't even hold back your son, your only son. As if throughout this whole story of God revealing God's self to Abraham, he come, God comes to this moment and says to Abraham, I'm not like that. I'm not like all of the other gods. But if, if you want to know what I am like, go ahead and look off into the distance because you'll find a ram caught in the thickets by its horns. And there you have your sacrifice. See, in this moment, God reveals who God is by God providing for Abraham. We ask this question, what kind of a God are we dealing with? It's not a God who demands death. 
It's not a God who demands child sacrifices. It's not a God who demands that we provide for ourselves, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, fend for ourselves, but it's a God who provides. Now, none of this lets the story off the hook. <laughs> I acknowledge that. It doesn't clean it up. It doesn't tidy it. It doesn't make it an easier story to swallow. But I think it does two particular things, if not many more. I think the first one is, is that this seems to be a very clear-cut story of the end of any sort of child sacrifice for the people of God. This seems to be God showing up in a dramatic, definitive way, saying child sacrifice is no more. I am not like that. But secondly, I wonder if this story in some way seems to point to this question of like, perhaps God desires that we understand who God is rather than just an unquestioning obedience. Like perhaps more than like God sitting on some sort of divine throne in the sky telling us what to do and us unquestioningly obeying it, having unquestioning allegiance to it, no matter how gruesome or how terrifying or how awful it may be, perhaps maybe God desires that we actually understand who God is, that we understand the heart, the nature, the character, the longings, the desires, the impulses of God. Now, the reason why I think this is because as we read scripture, we get a certain picture of God. And that's a God who is a relational God, a God who enters into the story, a God who journeys with humanity, a God who gets vulnerable with humanity, a God who risks rejection from humanity. And I think the reason why God does all of these things is because without vulnerability, without journeying, without a risk of rejection, it is impossible to have a space for love. And it seems that all throughout the story of scripture, but precisely in the story of Abraham in particular, it seems as though the goal of the story is that Abraham would have a better understanding of who God is. That Abraham would come to understand that this is a God of love, that this is a God of provision. Where all of the other gods might demand things like death and uh, child sacrifice and uh, providing for ourselves, this God is different. And that this God is a God who provides. Now, I think that these two ideas, this, this idea of understanding and this, this idea of providing, come to like this dramatic sort of like intersection as we continue to follow the story of Scripture through. And they come to this particular sort of head colliding together in the person of Jesus. Because here in the person of Jesus, it seems as though we have God standing up in a very clear, definitive way of saying like, here is what I am like. In the person of Jesus, it seems like we have a very clear um, moment where God stands up and says, if you want to understand who I am, you do not have to provide this understanding for yourself. But instead, here in the person of Jesus, we have God taking on flesh, standing among us so that we can have the clearest understanding of who God is. In the person of Jesus, God provides the clearest understanding of who God is. And so we ask this question of what is God like? And I think the invitation of Jesus is to look at me. <laughs> Jesus says to us, I am God in flesh. I have come to take on flesh to stand in front of you so that if you ever have any questions about what God is like, you don't have to provide that understanding for yourself. But I'll provide that understanding for you, standing here in flesh and blood, dwelling among you, the fullness of God, the glory of God contained now in flesh and blood before you. 
we ask this question, what is God like? And Jesus stands before us with open arms and invites us to get to know what God, get to know who God is, to get to know this understanding of who God is, the heart of God, the character of God, the nature of God, the impulse, the desires, the longings of God. Now, still a strange, difficult, disturbing story. <laughs> None of this clears that up. None of this like lets it off the hook that much, if at all. But I think among some like pretty strange and difficult details for us uh, to wrestle with, I think it does point to some of the beauty of this grand arching narrative of scripture that comes to a T in the person of Jesus. And so in, in the midst of some of the difficulty, the disturbing details of it, um, I'm going to choose to hang on to the beauty that is Jesus, that I think the story in some strange way is pointing to. Let's pray. Loving God, we're grateful that you are a God who journeys with us, who uh, meets us where we're at with our own cultural and societal and religious limitations, and that you, uh, for some strange reason, get vulnerable with us and risk rejection. God, thank you that more than just making sure that we answer the, test, or the, the questions on the test right, that you long for us to, to know you, to understand your heart, your desire, your character, your nature. And God, we thank you that we don't have to provide our own understanding for that. But like you provided a ram for Abraham, you provided Jesus for us, you in flesh, so that when we ask questions of what are you like, we only have to look as far as Jesus. We thank you for Jesus. May we know Jesus. May we know your heart. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.